Regardless whether you've got a circuit car, a road car or a drift car, the alignment is critical to getting the most out of your car's performance. In particular is that tyre contact patch between the tyre and the road that really defines how much grip you're going to have and how the car's going to handle. But when it comes to drifting in particular, it is a very unique form of motorsport and the typical settings we may expect from our alignment are going to be vastly different to what you'd see in the world of circuit racing. So we're here with Mike from Squire Motorsport to get into a little bit more detail about some drift specific wheel alignment settings. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So, Mike, for a start, you're no stranger to motorsport, circuit racing in particular, as well as drifting, so you've had a lot of experience in both camps. Can you sort of start by giving us some idea of some of the key differences we would see between an alignment set up for a purpose-designed circuit car and something that's going to be built for drifting? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously the first biggest notice is going to be steering lock, so that's going to be the one big thing, and you'll see a lot of cars uh, running quite big camber up front. Now, that generally comes in alongside with the lock. But as a whole, the biggest thing is, is a circuit car is going to have a different, you know, that they're built to go straight, keep their grip, and the way the car feels in, out, down straights, the whole lot of that, where, you know, guys sort of get a little bit straight on grip or trying to find grip and thinking it's going to come just from toes and stuff like that. So I think the biggest mistake that everybody makes is trying to follow a, you know, okay, this works in a circuit car, but... In a drift car, it doesn't necessarily work to a point. So the biggest focus with that is is how, uh, you know, everybody thinks oh, drifting is just smoking up the tyres and not actually having drive. But you, you put a pro drift car out on the track and it, it could probably drift behind a circuit car doing a fast lap. I think that's something that is easy to lose sight of that. In the early days of drifting, it was exactly like you're saying, basically, let's make a lot of smoke and go sideways. But I mean, this is an incredibly competitive sport these days, and the cars are making more and more power, many of them up around a thousand horsepower and beyond. And now it's come down to getting that power to the ground. So the drive is very important. Before we get a little too, too far into this, I want to just jump back to something you, you said and, and unpack that a little bit. You mentioned the steering lock, and I mean, that goes without saying these cars are incredibly sideways so the steering lock's essential for the driver to be able to control the drift without spinning so how do you get that out of a production car that's not designed with anything like that sort of steering lock first of all it generally ends up going with a what well, it started as what they call a cut and shut knuckle so obviously just cutting your spindle down moving your steering rack forward a little bit just so that you don't get the lock out obviously on full lock if you don't have that and also just to to avoid some really ugly bump steers and those sorts of things so i mean that's where it first started and then it sort of then went into that down the road, lo- lo- lengthening the lower control arms as well as that. And then as natural progression went on, you get, you get stuff like WiseFab out of the States. Purpose design components to get the geometry correct and also allow that additional lock. Yeah, sure. And, but once you start getting into those sorts of gear, you know, they've got a lot of adjustment where you can go from zero Ackerman in any dire- and then you can go either, in any direction you like. In some of the setups, you can adjust the caster in two different places. So 
it starts to really bring in an element where you actually need to know what you've got to do. And then your driver also has to know the feel, how, how he likes the feel of the car, because the dynamic of changing those front ends, even just as, just as little things as far as Ackerman, scrub radius, toe, camber, those things actually start bringing in really big differences on a car. And you can generally tell how a car is going to handle by just looking at its front end static. All right, so you've just brought up about a million more terms that we now need to go back and unpack, which is great. So let, let's dive in there a little bit. So I want to start with one of the simple ones here, uh, caster. And uh, the caster has a sort of a, a self-aligning effect on the steering. So basically really important to drifting. So with drifting, can you give us sort of a range of what sort of caster angle we might expect to see in the front end? Yeah, sure. So when the guys were starting with their cut and shut and their radius arms, if we talk about a Sylvia, probably one of the most common, right? You've got your front adjustable caster arm. So by the time the guys have done the adjustments they need to get the lock and the camber, your caster sometimes kind of comes predetermined. That window there is generally around the 7 degrees. You start looking at the Wisefab and the GT86s and you start struggling to get around about the 4.5, 5. You've got to start doing some work. So, I mean, anywhere within that window is good, but I've seen, I've worked with some drivers that would go as little as 3 and then as far as 8 to 9. You know, a, a really good base setting and a good window is anywhere learning and just to give yourself a base set to know where you go. I think sort of six, around 6 degrees plus but not much further within that window, I mean. So that, that self-aligning, just for those who aren't really aware yeah, sure. of what, what we mean there, so basically what that means, you'll see quite often the drift drifters, once they've initiated the drift, they'll actually let go of the steering wheel and that caster, that self-aligning torque effect, counter-steers automatically, so it's much quicker than the driver can dial in the opposite lock. Yeah, sure, so if we want to try and simplify it a little bit, yeah, and, and you whenever you see a car, uh, you see them turning and they start, it starts to load up its inside wheel. So in a drift, the inside wheel's kind of your driven wheel and your loaded wheel, so... Yeah, you're 100% right. So if you see any in-car footage, they're always on and off the throttle, and they're actually driving the car off the throttle. Some drivers like that, and other drivers don't. So it's obviously as soon as you reduce the caster, the car, the car kind of gets less self-steer, if we want to call it. So the driver will actually have to feed it, which gives the allows the driver to have a lot more input. But you can actually adjust the way the vehicle will snap and the aggressiveness of that on the, the front caster. end. Correct. So that's a part of it. So... The easiest way to explain caster, if, if you, um, the most visually way to explain it, you look at a big, ever watch West Coast Choppers, they're riding on a Harley that's got a, a wheel three feet out the front. That guy's never going to go around a corner super fast, but it's going to go in a straight line really well. So that's kind of caster, just wants to keep pulling the car and the steering wheel out. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. All right, so the next one that you mentioned, and this starts to get a little bit more technical, probably a little bit more difficult for us to explain in simple terms here, but Ackerman steering. So basically, in a nutshell here, you've got the fact that when we're turning the car, and let's talk about just driving around a supermarket car park at yes. low speed. So as we turn, the, each wheel is actually turning through a, a different radius, and the idea with Ackerman steering is that it turns the two front wheels at different angles so it matches the radius so there's a lot more to it than that I'm trying to trying to really yeah. dull it down but the fact that that might work really well for driving around a supermarket car park at low speed that doesn't really take into account what's going on on track at speed with particularly the, the slip on the tyres so how do you decide on Ackerman steering what, what amount of Ackerman to include and how that works? Yeah so with the Ackerman, it's actually it kind of Ackerman, and obviously whenever you look at drifters, they all want to run the big wheel, the big dish. You can generally 
slightly off track, but we'll come back to the Ackman, is you can always see a car running, say, Wisefab. They generally run like a zero Ackman. The car almost has no dish on the front. It's offset right out. So it's pivoting over its own centers, if you want to say. But the thing, yeah, like he's talking about, the Ackerman is that's quite a big one, which I feel is kind of overlooked a lot in the pit lane because Ackerman and Scrub Radius I kind of generally put together just because you mentioned slip angle on the car. So you talk about all these sorts of things, which can go quite, as you know, it's a very deep sort of conversation. But if we keep, if we keep it simple, say Wisefab on a zero Ackerman, you can, there's plenty of videos around where the car actually looks like it's just crab walking almost. You know, they've got it on lock and there's absolutely no friction between the front, the two front wheels, which allows the rear to just push it in the direction of the front wheels, if that's the easiest way to explain it. As you start to change its Ackerman, you'll create a drag and a potential braking effect almost, if we can say it like that, to try and keep it simple. And so that also just comes down to driver's feel, but obviously too much of it, and you start to lock that inside wheel up too much and it actually makes the car want to rotate on its own axis. So you start to get into those sorts of things, and it is generally, if we talk about someone wanting to start out, and you've got a sort of cut and shut knuckle style. Well, let's be honest, your acumen at that point is uh, set. It is what it is. We've got no adjustment. So I think it's important to state there, I've dug into this term because you mentioned it, so I want to get it out there. But it is an adjustment in the suspension geometry that most people aren't going to have any access to make adjustments unless you're right up at that upper echelon where you've got all the adjustability in the the components, correct? I mean, you can still do it with a cut and shut style knuckle, but you really got to be... You know, you've got to put some thought into it. You can really make your life hard if, you, if you're starting out to drift and you start, you sort of, you know, you think, oh, I can cut and shut and weld my own knuckles up. You can really ruin some track days struggling. So definitely something like that. You know, there's some guys out there that have built some pretty cool sort of setups that are really simple, which allows you to focus, you know, I, I'd say getting out, learning out drifting. You probably want to work more on the rear end than the front end to start with. Get your lock. But yeah, like you say, it's... <laughs> It's a hard conversation to sort of try and touch on because... It's very difficult when we've got no visual cues here. So I think what we'll do is we'll park that and we'll move on. Another aspect there, we've basically dealt with the key key items. Another aspect there is tow. So I just want to talk about some of the differences there we see between the likes of a a circuit car and a drift car. It'd be common on a circuit car, obviously all depending on the chassis, the driver, the track, etc. But we might run uh, maybe a couple of mil tow out each side on the front to to aid turn-in and corner entry we might um, run a couple of mil toe in per side on the rear to help with stability and uh, how does that differ with what you sort of would see as a range for drifting yeah so again like there's so many variations so again if we talk about a standard say sylvia obviously under squat they'll tow in or we've actually got setups out there now that you can actually adjust if you wanted to tow in zero toe so so you're sort of talking about essentially bump steer in the rear of the car. So as the suspension moves through bump travel, the suspension moves up, you're actually seeing the toe change. Correct, yeah. But effectively bump steer, dynamic toe. There's so many terminologies, again, depends which country you're in. So if we talk about the rear, for example, again, knowing what that's done. But it's also about, like, it's, it is a very hard one to touch on because every setting has an action and a reaction and if you change one obviously something else changes and it's about knowing which one to change to compensate for the other but if we talk about a general tow a sort of standard general thereabouts race car style setup generally is a good base it will get you in the ballpark 100 percent, because at the end of the day you still are chasing grip it starts to get complicated when you start to really have the power and you really want to start to drive the car differently or you want to start getting it to 
react differently on and off power. So, you know, that toe sort of can go very far. Generally, a rule of thumb, a lot of the guys will run a little bit of out on the rear or zero to a little bit of in to get some drive off the rear. Some of the guys run some really big numbers on the rear and really big numbers on the front. Can you give us, like, what is a big number? Are we talking five? We're talking 10, 15? I mean, I've heard it go as far as 15, but I think, in my opinion, some might not agree with, but in my opinion, anywhere after... If you're touching double numbers, you're pushing a tyre past its actual slip, if we want to call it, or grip. A couple of things I just want to touch on there. Again, it's really important to mention that this is very specific to the chassis and also specific to the track. And, of course, those numbers you're talking about there, uh, with a pro drift car, you only really need the tyres to hold together for two laps, Uh, whereas if you ran those sorts of numbers on a circuit car, uh, the amount of scrub being caused by that toe would just destroy the tyres very quickly. Yeah, correct. But you've still got to be able to manage because the wheels are spinning so fast. You know, sometimes you'll see the wheels spinning in excess of 200k an hour. You've still got to be able to manage your your tire surface. So if you're just spinning your tire the whole time and it's got a toe drag on it, you're going to potentially put excess heat into it, which will also then actually effectively reduce your grip. So, you know, it's about managing those two things where some guys believe that if you just throw toe doesn't necessarily create grip. And so it's that balance because you can cook a surface of your tyre by throwing toe in and wheel spin. And so that's the other aspect of where it can, you know, things start to get very challenging and deep. And you mentioned, you know, it's chassis specific, but it's also driver specific. So it's a very big... Yeah, I, I think it, it is really important to understand and anyone who's sort of experienced in motorsport will know that there really are very few absolutes here. But it's important to understand the implications of these changes. And of course, we also need to test and find out what a particular change does and decide if that's going the right direction. Look, Mike, it's been great to get some insight there. We thank you for your time and all the best for the rest of the weekend here at World Time Attack. No worries. Thank you. Please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.